When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, welcome to Rewind a Raw. I'm John Pollock along with. Wei Ting, how are you, Wei? Not bad, John, yourself? I'm doing swell. Swell, okay. Cool. Yes. That's I just good. watched I just watched three hours of Raw, and I got a hundred times more news out of eight minutes from Aoki Sugabayashi. So New Japan, in terms of efficiency tonight, <laughs> just blew Raw away for me. It was a very economical you know, press conference. They didn't really waste that much time, got right into the news, and then got out. Oh, here, here is what you're here for. There are no pleasantries. Here is what we're doing. Keep up if you can. Here's Tanahashi to say, hi, we're back. That was it. And they were out in eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was a hundred times more newsworthy than Raw tonight. But we will uh, get into all of that. But, uh, yeah, what a what a weekend. We had uh UFC 250. We had uh plenty of fighters that are just furious at the UFC. It's a real powder keg. Then we had in your house on Sunday night where Io Shirai won the NXT women's title just as Way said would happen on Friday night on Rewind to SmackDown. Sure. Yeah. I you did. Correct. You were right. Um could have gone many ways, but uh yeah. Uh, sometimes it's predicting wrestling outcomes is it, it it happens. And with the nice weather out, I know a lot of people are getting out for long walks, maybe a bike ride, and maybe they're starting to note the the curves in the road and starting to say to themselves, "Wow, this is a really long and winding royal road that I'm going down. What a what a great path this is going on." I just I just saw the formation of the Triple Crown. I wonder what's next in this new series from WH Park. That's right. It is. It we just premiered WH's monthly new series, talking about the All Japan Pro Wrestling uh, era, golden era of the '90s. And episode zero is out right now with Joseph Monticello, where he and WH talk about the origin of the Triple Crown. It was an excellent show and a great little introduction to. Um, to this decade, um, if you are even curious, you can follow along and even watch the matches. All the all the match um, links are in the show descriptions at postwrestling.com. Yeah, so uh, go check that out. So, some great shows this past weekend uh, covering all of those events and WH uh, Park's newest monthly series, the Long and Winding uh, Royal Road. And this week coming up, I have dubbed it way Andrew Thompson Week on the site because. Andrew's going to be dropping a new interview on Tuesday uh, with Aisha Raymond, who participated in the uh, 2017 May Young Classic. She's been wrestling for over a decade. Uh, I think this will be a really interesting interview. She talks about uh, working with uh, Kyoko uh, Kimura, the mother of Hana Kimura, and just her time in the industry as well. But that is not all. Of course, Andrew will be on some of the updates this week, but he will be going, joining the British Wrestling Experience on Thursday and then 24 hours later, he's going to be with Wei Ting for his debut on Rewind to SmackDown, uh, filling in for me this week on Friday night. So 
You're going to uh, have your fill of Andrew Thompson this week on many of our shows. I feel really bad. I didn't realize he was already booked uh, on uh, for so many other things. I, I don't know if I would have should have asked him. He's in high demand way. You gotta you gotta book him in advance too. He's, his schedule is just crowding up quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that is uh, just some of the shows that are coming up this week, and of course we will have our backlash post show Sunday night uh, available for double double ice cap and espresso patrons uh, to watch live and call in after we will see will they produce the greatest match of all time? We shall see. Yeah, I also wanted to make mention the season finale of Total Bellas is this Thursday. So Pauline and I will be back for our final edition of Total Recall also on Saturday night on the Post Wrestling Cafe. Yes, I've gone I've gone to great pains to figure out this season of uh, Total Bellas. So it turns out episode 11 is this Thursday. Seems like they probably added this one a little bit later, you know, considering all of the uh, pregnancy news. It, there's definitely been sort of weird conflicting reports of like when the season ends, but... I mean, come on, people are getting pregnant. You've got to do a brand new show. Uh, you do. And I guess New Japan is at their due date to come back with new shows. So let's go through uh, the announcements that they, they had tonight. So uh, Naoki Sugabayashi, just uh, seated at the desk, said that they are ready to resume operations. They have not run since February 26th. It resulted in the cancellation of 53 events by the company. But on May 25th, the state of emergency was lifted in most areas, and they have gotten the support of the Japanese Sports Authority. Uh, last week, they began antibody testing with uh, staff members and others involved with, with the uh, promotion, and they are starting to prep venues for events. And their first show back will be next Monday, June the 15th, that they are promoting as the Together Project Special. And this is going to be done in the same fashion as New Year's Dash, where at the beginning of the, the night, they will announce the card. So it's a mystery card on Monday that I would... And it's going to be these first nine shows will be empty arena shows. Um, but they will have some shows in July that will have a limited uh, crowd involvement. So they're going to run June 15th. Then the next day, on June 16th, they are launching the New Japan Cup, and they're going to do a 32-man tournament um, in the space of a couple of weeks. So these will take place. These are our opening round matches. On June 16th, we've got Togi Makabe versus Yota Suji, Tomohiro Ishii versus El Desperado, Toru Yano versus Jado, and Tomoaki Honma versus Hiromu Takahashi. And yes, I said Hiromu Takahashi because heavyweights and junior heavyweights are going to be part of the New Japan Cup. Uh, the next day, June 17th, we have Okada versus Ghetto, Yuji Nagata against Minoru Suzuki, Yuya Uemura versus Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Gabriel Kidd versus Taiji Ishimori. Then we go to June 22nd, that will have Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Taichi, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Kota Ibushi, Ryusuke Taguchi versus Sonata, and in a rematch of one of the best matches from the best of the Super Juniors last year, Shingo Takagi versus Sho. And then the opening round winds down on June 23rd with Tenzan versus Yoshihashi, Yo versus Bushi, Satoshi Kojima versus Evil, and Hiroki Goto versus Yujiro. Uh, then the second round takes place June 24th through July 1st, the quarterfinals on July 2nd, semifinals on July 3rd, and then they're going to run back-to-back -back nights July 11th and 12th at Osaka Joe Hall, which will be opening opening up its doors and will limit the crowds to one-third the capacity of the building. So we're going to have the finals of the New Japan Cup on the first night, July 11th, and then the next night, July 12th, will feature Tetsuya Naito defending both the IWGP heavyweight and intercontinental titles against the winner 
of the New Japan Cup. And they've also promoted um, special matches that will take place on these cards as well. And this, um, the shows at Osaka Joe Hall, they're replacing Dominion, which was supposed to be this Sunday. Uh, so that's off, as is the uh, Hokkaido tour that they had announced for July. That will not be happening. Um, but we're going to get um, all these shows, including two, that there will be uh, limited a number of fans there. And yeah, this is a lot, but it seems that New Japan is uh, k- hitting the ground running next week. It sounds like a pretty full plane. You know, um, and I think I'm, I'm definitely as a fan. You watch a press conference like this, and you definitely get the sense that it's very well thought out. It's very transparent. Um, you know, not just about I think what's coming up in the schedule, but about uh, what they're doing for testing. Uh, apparently, more guidelines are going to be revealed on their website, so I'm very curious to see some of that. But it definitely sounds like they have a plan. Certainly, notably absent um, is you know a lot of the foreign talent. We have a, mainly a New Japan Cup comprised of Japanese talent. I believe Zack Sabre Jr. and Gabriel Kidd are, you know, two people I, I guess you would consider foreigners. Although I'm, I believe Zack lives there right now. Yes. Uh, and uh, but, but no, no Will Osprey in this. Is he back in? He's in England. I'm assuming that can't get here. Might be the assumption. Yeah, I'm sure if he was available, he would certainly be in this. But yeah, he's notably absent. So understandably, they needed to fill that whole thing out with junior heavyweight wrestlers. And mm-hmm. um, I, I certainly it seems like it's the best they could do at the moment. And I think, you know, considering the long, long layoff, 110 days since their last show, uh, this sort of anything from New Japan Pro Wrestling will be very welcome. I'm really curious to see what the third full uh, uh, attendance of, 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 a, of, a, of a place like a Nosaka Joe Hall will look like. Um, as far as we know, certainly like no places here will be doing that yet but by july i guess who knows yeah um you know on new japan when they've had a sellout at osaka joe hall in the past they've listed it um and they usually they they put legitimate figures on their website listed at 11,411 would be a sellout so that's not um a small number that even when you figure in a third of that uh, would be, you're still talking about, you know, almost 4,000 people that that could, in theory, um, be, be able to come watch this show. That's it's certainly a lot more than what you can fit in the PC or Daily's place. So it, it, it would be, um, you know, a big step into, I guess. This would be the, the yeah. largest uh, gathering for any kind of wrestling show since the, since the pandemic hit by a large margin. Um. It, Granted, if there's going to be like just because that amount of tickets are available, will that amount of people be uh, going to these shows, uh, which the Osaka ones were a month away from? Sure. Right. Uh, Any details about ticket sales or anything yet? Uh, I'm just looking on the site and I I think all that is still to come of when these um, I mean, they'll probably have to get these out pretty soon, but there's no. I don't see any information on this as of uh, right now. They have a thing about Dominion. Uh, I'm just skimming through here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no ticket information yet, but I imagine they'll be put on sale pretty quick. Yeah, ticket details will be announced soon. Gotcha. Listed here. Yeah, no, I'm really curious to know like how they space out the seating. Um, you know, a lot of these things. I think New Japan will be the first ones to really take those first steps and to set the tone for for a lot of other people. So. Uh, I'm sure, you know, people in America will be watching very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that that's it. As Wei noted, like some notable omissions. Um, 
I would assume it means like Kenta, who still had his his family over here. I would imagine Kenta's over here in the U.S. because he would have been someone that you would assume would have been in this tournament. I wonder. Yeah, he. I would assume he's over here. So. Anyway, those are uh, that's the big news coming out of uh, New Japan tonight. But we have uh, other news to get into. Edge did an interview with uh, our friend Arta Ocal at ESPN and talked about having to have the the greatest match way of all time. And I guess this is one where I think Edge was probably on the same side as everybody else, thinking, "Why are we doing this?" Uh, and he's. I guess just trying to make the best of it, but he pretty much told Arda that it's impossible to have the greatest match ever. It's subjective at best, and you can never say something definitively is the greatest anything. Uh, and he told Arda, when asked why are they doing this, he said Vince is a promoter and he's promoting, but it's hyperbole. I mean, to me, the greatest match ever is not possible. So that takes the pressure out of my mind immediately. And when he was told about it, I just laughed because I didn't think it was serious. Then I realized fairly quickly it was. <laughs> then my reaction was, is this wise? Because anytime you say something the greatest ever beforehand, you're setting yourself up for failure. And I don't ever want to think that way. I need to think the opposite of that. I can't control the, the court of public opinion. I need to do and be proud of the work that I put in. Would I have preferred they not build it as that? Absolutely. But I also know there are times where heels get dug in the sand and there's no changing it. So I think a pretty transparent answer that Edge fucking hated this idea. And he's being a good soldier here and going through because he cannot change this and is just going to go out there, I guess, and uh, do their best. And we should note that it was reported by Dave Meltzer that this match apparently was taped over the weekend. Mm hmm. I mean, I feel like that that was about as um, as honest of a of could a, this fit on the poster? Um, <laughs> not possible, <laughs> right <yeah>. underneath. <laughs> uh, it's 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 it it really just kind of goes to show how this is clearly not uh, something that the performers themselves suggested, and that it was something completely forced onto them by uh, the promoter. In this case, um, obviously Vince McMahon. And I really do have to wonder what his thinking is because I can't. I I just I can't imagine. I think it's people that the push this so hard that it's it sounds so ridiculous that people have to tune in to see what what happens. But but you're ultimately left with like you're 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 risking your audience tuning in and just being disappointed. And why, as a promoter, would you want that at all? You could you could say anything to get people to pay attention. Like the fact that he decided to choose this particular match to build as the greatest wrestling match ever, when there's absolutely zero, I think, expectation that it will be and zero precedent said that this will be, I really cannot come up with another reason other than him just wanting to fuck around with these two. Um, I I just can't, I can't, I I can't come up with any ex- other excuse. Yeah, it's um, it's a puzzling one, but they have. It's like they're not. They are not like treading lightly on this one. They like it. This is the sole promotion of this event. Like we had the the money in the bank thing last month. Climb the corporate ladder. This is that times ten. They have made the entire marketing of this event around this tagline. Um, and yeah, it's it's almost become part of the promos now of Angle and Sean. Be like, God, I'm glad that's not me in there. <laughs> this sounds nuts. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. Um, Amazing. We'll see how much promo, uh, like promotional stuff, like Edge is out there doing because 
I feel like so many of the interviews, as you set them out, it's less about the match and more so about the marketing of it that he's got to almost defend. And in this case, I think not even defend, but more so, um, you know, do his best to rationalize it of how he just has to go ahead and uh, get around this enormous um, albatross that has been placed on these two for this match that has absolutely no way of delivering what is being intended and still leaving people satisfied by the end of it that's not an easy chore no no it's not and I, I do i do feel bad for him because clearly you see him in these uh segments you see him and Orton in these segments and they're trying really hard to tell a very serious story about a man coming back from injury and wondering if he still has it has what it takes anymore and yet the discussion heading into this show is just the ridiculousness of this tagline and really ultimately laughter i think coming out of the discussion of this match and it's it's just certainly too bad because he's certainly taking it seriously. Uh, just a few other uh, wrestling notes. Uh, as we reported on, on Sunday, uh, it is a legitimate injury that Elias was uh, written out of the IC title tournament with. He does have uh, a torn pectoral muscle, so he's going to be out for some time. But uh, that portion that Michael Cole explained uh, was le- legitimate. And SmackDown on Friday finished with 1,984,000 viewers. So this would be their their second lowest since uh, being on Fox. They did a .5 in the demo. And we've got some matches coming up for NXT this week coming out of TakeOver. We have Adam Cole versus Dexter Loomis and Finn Balor versus Cameron Grimes. Uh, quickly, what did you? how did you think In Your House uh, performed? I enjoyed the show. You know, considering certainly, I think, you know, a level of lowered expectation since this was going to be kind of an empty arena show, not necessarily a full full level takeover. But as far as the matches went, I, I, I really enjoyed uh, 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 the main main event three way mm-hmm. between the women. I thought that was tremendous. Um, I, I enjoyed Keith Lee, Johnny Gargano. I liked Finn Balor and Damian Priest. I liked the opening uh, uh, six six way between the, the women. Um in ring wise, I thought it was probably a show that maybe was slightly beneath, you know, your typical takeover level, but like really right there, I was not disappointed and I was satisfied, but obviously a, a notch lowered because you don't have that atmosphere. Yeah. And I think that's so much of the the takeovers that as a show, it was very quick to watch. I mean, in they were out of there in less than two and a half hours, and I think the show breezed by. I really enjoyed the main event quite a lot. That was that was my match of the show. Uh, what, what did you think about the the backlot brawl? I thought this was, I liked it more than Gargano Champa, but I would still say of of like these style of matches during these couple of months, th- this would be on the low end. I agree with you. Uh, I liked it more than one final beat because it was shorter. I think they learned mm-hmm. that lesson. So it was like uh, 15 minutes. Yeah. At the same time, I think what we've seen is that these, you know, cinematic matches are at their best when they don't take themselves too seriously. And one of the things I, I was, you know, always curious about NXT's presentation is how they would mend perhaps, you know, kind of more campy off the wall, sometimes comedy with their very serious presentation. And I don't think they really hit that on uh, uh, the parking lot brawl. In effect, it, it just ended up kind of being, you know... Uh, like a long, long street fight, street fight, yeah. street fight with production. Yeah. And, and like, you know, there were some really spectacular bumps within it, but I, I really can't say there was anything that fun about it. You know, that to me justified, I think that sort of billing or even that, that amount of time. Um, what did you think of the in your house stuff? 
Um, well, just finishing on the backlot brawl, I'm with you. I think that NXT, they want to kind of present these ones as like more serious, which is why like that Uber driver thing, what a, t- like that sucked. Like what a yeah. stupid joke that did not land. And it's almost like if you want to go this direction and make these more serious than the alternatives to these matches, then, then don't force feed like your unfunny jokes. And I think like comedy on that brand is very poor. Like what we've seen mm. with like the the flashlight stuff with Keith Lee and Mia Yim, um, mm. I, I just think that is not their forte. Uh, but to the nostalgia stuff, I thought they hit the note perfectly. They didn't overdo it, but the stuff that they did have, what, what, the, like the Todd Pettengill stuff, the set was cool. But they didn't let the nostalgia dominate the show; that it overshadowed everything else. It was like it was, um, it was just gravy. And I thought they balanced that part really well. Um, you know, yeah. they had the Eichel Pro ad in there. I mean, they had some fun stuff. So I, I thought they they utilized like the branding of you know a fairly small thing in WWF history and and utilized it for a, a gain for a show that they they made it um, an interesting marketing concept. They certainly delivered on the set. I was really happy to see that. Uh, you know, the, like Pettengill, I thought was was awesome to see. I I do continue to say though that I think NXT has an issue trying to uh blend its comedy with its seriousness i almost feel like nxt especially because it it really is in creation sort of like an an answer to the main roster which often does terrible comedy so i think nxt in response almost takes itself too seriously and so when it attempts i would say kind of like more of a campy sort of like tone like what we tried to see them do within your house Mm, sometimes it, it, it it it's it's kind of only halfway, you know, whereas I feel like AEW has a better grasp of like blending your very serious Cody type of match with something like, you know, that you would typically see on BTE and it's still figuring itself out. But um, for like, there's no comparison to me between like how fun something like a stampede stadium stampede was in either of the NXT, you know, cinematic match presentations. No, not at all. And I, I would say that it's, it's something that that's growing, but the, the cool factor that NXT possessed for those years, I, I think, has dramatically lessened over a, a number of months where I I can't recall too many times watching NXT where you have kind of that that grown reaction to, um, you know, failed comedy bits and stuff that is usually reserved for a Raw or a SmackDown that I think we, we do see creep onto NXT at a much higher frequency than it did prior. Sure. So... Those were our thoughts on uh, In Your House. You can hear more from uh, Braden and Davey. And the last thing here before we get out of here is all the turmoil way in UFC at the moment. So we had Conor McGregor and his his career ended way on Saturday night via tweet. It's all over. No more Conor McGregor. What a, what a career it was. He's all done. Uh, this was his third retirement uh, via Twitter. Um, no one is taking this one seriously, but I think what people would take more seriously was his frustration that he uh, vented to Ariel Hawani on Sunday in an interview on ESPN that, you know, they're reporting this is not so much a money issue, but this is a, a lack of, you know, agreement on an opponent. Uh, Conor McGregor very much wanted to fight Justin Gaethje after Justin Gaethje beat Tony Ferguson, but Gaethje is not interested in that fight right now. He wants to fight. Khabib Nurmagomedov and Connor's kind of on the sidelines at the moment. UFC, it's 
it's definitely not the most ideal time to be promoting a Conor McGregor fight when you're sacrificing the live gate that he will bring for a major fight. And this, you're you're starting to see a lot of guys upset now. Jorge Masvidal is you know very being very public now about the amount of revenue that is paid out to fighters versus other sports and feeling you know he's getting lowballed now because he's got a fight on the table with Kamaru Usman and fighting the champion is going to pay him less than what he fought Nate Diaz for back in November on top of that John Jones is continuing all of his um issues and grievances with the UFC and feeling he's been underpaid and he went on this long um discussion on Twitter today about you know pretty much saying that I was ripped off throughout my entire 20s and I was impressionable and th- just talking about, you know, if he was paid fairly and that young fighters need to learn about getting paid. So it's interesting just the fact that you do have these power players that are all kind of in concert with one another, just, just talking about the discrepancy in pay at a time when the UFC is stating, hey, there's a pandemic going on. Who's asking for raises right now? Well, for these fighters, they they don't share in the live gate. They don't share in the television revenue that is coming in for you right now. So that is not of their chief concern. And you can certainly look at fighters being underpaid, but a lot of that is because they, they don't have collective bargaining. They don't have that that power that other athletes and other sports do have through representation. And I don't know if this is the beginning of anything uh, that would be some seismic shift in fighters having that kind of a voice. But I think it's notable when you have significant um, players in the UFC that are all kind of uh, reading from the same kind of book at the moment and voicing a lot of frustration when it comes to this. Yeah, it certainly seems like a, a lot of people are very unhappy at the very same time. And as far as what's your prediction john to, to do you think anything will come out of this do they have the ability to do anything if they decided to band together my gut says no whenever it comes to you know the talk of a of a union or an association my my gut reaction is to always believe that that will not happen um it's at a time as well when these these fighters have less leverage than ever before so when you when you look at this picture the ufc they did over 700,000 buys last month for UFC 249. Then they did Amanda Nunez and Felicia Spencer this past Saturday. By all logic, did significantly less. We'll wait for that number to come in. But UFC is being paid the exact same amount from ESPN for those pay-per-views. They get just under $17 million per show. So for them to go out and overpay, by their definition – a John Jones or a Conor McGregor and bring your buys up to such a gigantic level. It's ESPN that's enjoying that, that added revenue while UFC is paying for these fighters to be happy. Now you want to keep ESPN happy because ultimately they are guaranteeing you this revenue every month. So if you have uh, an Amanda Nunez, Felicia Spencer, that's not the most attractive fight for a pay-per-view audience, you're still getting that guaranteed revenue. And ESPN is then going to enjoy when you do have, the big fights, but ESPN plays, they hold a lot of the power because it's to their benefit that the UFC does reconcile with Conor McGregor, with Jorge Masvidal, with Joe, with John Jones and many others, because they've seen the power the UFC can bring in where a Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson are doing that level of business that they would 
at this time, every company is struggling. They would love to see some revenue coming in from these fighters that all three of them, you know, want to fight just under certain circumstances. John Jones has been open to go into heavyweight if he's paid. Conor McGregor was expecting to fight and Jorge Masvidal was ready to fight. It's just making these guys meeting their demands, which the UFC is very, it seems very hesitant to, to do so. So it's an interesting power play. And at the end of the day, I think these fighters, one individual fighter does not hold a ton of leverage, but together the UFC has to produce these shows. That's how they are able to fulfill this deal. But the idea of getting all these fighters across the board together, I think that's a pipe dream. There's always going to be fighters that are willing to um, just cross that line and, and fight for the UFC because I, I don't think at the end of the day you're going to get an entire group of fighters that are all going to band together for uh, the same causes. It's uh, something you would hope. I think one day many of these fighters are all going to look back and say, man, if we had been able to get 5% of that television revenue, that could be a big difference for some of these guys. But they, they enjoy none of this television revenue that is such a big factor in the UFC's revenue. Contractually, are, are they all tied up? Is anybody free? Yeah, that's that's the other thing. It's like they're all, you know, John Jones and Jorge Masvidal are talking about, hey, just just release me. Well, that's not going to happen. The UFC is not going to really release you from your contract. So it's either you can sit on the sidelines, but you're going to do it infinitely. You can't just or you can retire, but retiring doesn't get you the ability to just go over and fight somewhere else. Nor is there another promotion that's going to be paying a John Jones or a Masvidal what they what the, what the top end that they can make in UFC. So it's not it's not a system that that favors fighters when it comes to these disputes either. I mean, and that's the other part as well with the UFC and their business structure that their their ability to have this power, it's also very fan friendly that you can put together the fights people want to see and fighters are not going on strike and you can keep revenues low. I mean, these are all things that are um, a detriment to fighters, but for fans, I mean, they, they get, they don't get to see fighters all splintered off and they don't have to see guys. You know, another thing is when fighters are making less, they're probably going to fight a lot more often because they, they need to be able to come and make that money. And you're seeing some guys that can make enough that they can go away for a while, but for, for others, so awful. It, it is, it's not a great fighter friendly system that they have built, but this is, where you're talking about, you know, athletes in some sports where the the revenue that the league takes in, they're paying out 48% to the players. In UFC, you know, of the court documents that we've seen in this whole antitrust suit, it's it's, you know, in the neighborhood of 18% it tops out at. So it's it's a huge disparity. But the UFC, if they're not challenged, they're not going to change this on their own volition. They are going to have to need a reason to force themselves to give up that that portion of the pie that they've commanded so much of. Right. Yeah. Um, well, how much power do you think the audience will have in any of it? The audience, I think, I, I think very little. I, I don't think this is ultimately something that um, fans in large numbers are, are going to get behind. I think they, they just want to see these guys fight. I think in, and if UFC, however they get these guys to fight, that's what they're going to root for. Um, I think for those that follow it a lot closer, I mean, you you certainly would love to see fighters be able to have to exert more control and not have these examples where, hey, you're 
your spot you can no longer bring outside sponsors into into the octagon and we've got this you know they, they it's just such a controlling atmosphere but one where there's always going to be other guys that are going to jump at the chance to fulfill your spot if you're not willing to take it do you think it'll affect people from like taking up careers in mma um i mean i'm sure it's i i'm sure that there are plenty of athletes that they look at mma and i i think like any sport you're always going to have the especially at a time when you when you're a young athlete and you're in high school or and looking at you know professional sports you're always going to look at the the top of that respective sport and people are going to look at the Conor McGregor's and say I want to be that guy. I want to make that kind of money. They're not looking at the guy that's making, you know, 30 and 30 and is living fight to fight and is, you know, barely making enough to to be able to, you know, retire at any any kind of age. I mean, they're always going to be looking I think at the more the the glamorous side that an MMA can bring. But I, I think that there is also that reality that that is the small percentage that is going to break through to become that that upper echelon. And there's a, a lot of fighters who leave the sport where they're you know doing tons of damage to themselves and also not having um, any any kind of financing for themselves when, when their career is done. That's you know it's an unfortunate part of fighting, but it's one that definitely exists. Hmm. So anyway, that's it. It's certainly an interesting story to follow, and if if anything more becomes of this versus uh, posturing and ultimately the sides get together because it, it often ends up that way. But let's move on to Raw. This was our go-home show for Backlash, and they were promoting tonight the return of Christian for a segment of The Peep Show with Edge. So Asuka comes out first, and Samoa Joe... We've talked about how he's had to try and uh, promote the greatest match ever and that it's maybe a little tough to get that one out. Well, tonight he said that when it comes to intensity, level of skill, and acumen in the ring, Oscar and Nia Jax, these two women are quite possibly the very best in the WWE. Oh, my. Well, (laughs) maybe 50%. I, I don't know how many would have Nia Jax on that short list of the two best hmm. in this company. Yeah. Might be debatable. Asuka's out and she's awaiting her opponent, Charlotte Flair, when the new tag champion, Sasha Banks and Bailey walk out. And Bailey reminds us that they won the tag titles on Friday, which considering the audience number we just recapped is probably news to some people. Asuka says, this is her ring and she wants to fight. And Bailey explains they can go to any brand they want. So certainly hinting that we could see these two appearing on multiple shows for the time being. For sure. Yeah. Flair comes out and says she is here to enjoy her spotlight. Then the Iconics come out and remind Bailey and Banks that they beat them for those tag titles at WrestleMania last year. And they are going to make Backlash iconic because we've got a triple threat match for the tag titles uh, with Bliss and Cross involved there with the champions and the Iconics. Flair says she doesn't need a title to be relevant. They're still garbage, and all six get into a fight, ending with Flair and Asuka clearing the ring, and that would set up an impromptu three-way match with Bailey and Banks against Asuka and Charlotte against the Iconics. Yeah, sort of began, a, um, I would say, almost a show-long uh, build towards Charlotte versus Asuka. It, it, this is a match that, that was certainly built out of nowhere because I think everybody was expecting Charlotte, Asuka, and... 
all of a sudden we just get them pairing together in a tag team match, which turned out to be just a prelude to Charlotte versus Asuka. So I don't know if they had a, I don't know if this is just like some convoluted way of building towards tonight's main event, or if there is a shortage of, of, of talent there or something, but it was, um, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a match that I, I feel like I, I needed, but, um, here it was. Here it was. Um, you know, some highlights here. Uh, Peyton Royce tried this like gory special dropping Sasha on her knees. Um, Flair and Oscar are constantly arguing. They're slapping each other, tagging in and out. And uh, Flair starts uh, making fun of Billy Kay, complaining about her chops. And then she sets up for a moonsault when Oscar tags to apply the Oscar lock and taps out Billy Kay in 1048. And what was funny here is that they go to commercial break. Um, and when they come back, Bailey and Banks were like hidden for the last couple of minutes. They were like down on the floor and you were supposed to totally forget about these two because it was pretty much two on two for the final couple of minutes. I thought it was absolutely a terrible use of not just your tag team title challengers, but also your champions. You know, these are people that just won the belts. They needed something where I think they were able to tell the world that, hey, we're the new champions and you should be taking this division seriously. But instead, they were simply used as a backdrop to build to tonight's main event of Charlotte versus Asuka. I mean, you have the Iconics here who are supposed to be challenging. Challengers that need Sunday. all the help they can get getting yep. submitted here, too. And instead, they just, you know, they're 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 used to, to lose to Asuka for no reason other than, again, to build to tonight's Raw TV main event. I thought it was terrible use of them and totally diminish, diminish the value of those tag team titles when you don't even have the champions, you know, like standing tall at the end of this. The belts were an af- absolute afterthought here. And I feel like it again reinforces the insinuation from the WWE main roster that singles wrestlers are always going to be better than your tag team wrestlers. I, I was pretty disappointed. I have long said that one of the biggest problems of wwe uh, booking with their matches is this obsession with or this paranoia that a loss kills someone and it's instead of putting someone over it's protecting people and this was this was it to me under a spotlight where we've got to have bailey and sasha banks disappear so they're not associated with losing we've got oscar losing tonight in the main event so we've got to give her something here charlotte lost last night so she's got to get something tonight and the iconics were kind of just the cannon fodder that got caught up here but it just all feels that there's well it's all this tit for tat that you lose here so we got to build you back up here and instead of wins and losses holding that weight it's kind of just this 50-50 stuff where it doesn't really advance the person winning while doesn't really affect the person losing either because it's indifference. And that to me is the worst of all the options. No, you're trying to feel like, you know, like jugs at the same level in it. And by the end, you're just going to have, everybody's just going to drown. It's just, I, I thought the match was not very good itself. I thought the reason for it sucked. And again, just does not really give me hope at all that this new tag title run from Bailey and Sasha will be treated any differently. My only hope for those two is that they will get matches on NXT. And uh, to me, that is probably the biggest draw of seeing Bailey and Sasha with those belts is that they'll probably take Charlotte's place now on Wednesdays as sort of like the traveling, you know, uh, stars from the main roster to be in that division. And I think those potential matchups are going to be far more 
uh, intriguing, both in ring and probably also in terms of booking as well. Flair attacked Oscar after the match and then held up the women's title. Seth Rollins came out and took over Byron Saxon's seat as they got ready for week two of Rey Mysterio. Do you have an update? Ray calls Seth a son of a bitch before they go to break. And then Ray says his doctor, he has seen his doctor. The prognosis is promising, but any damage or infection is still high risk. He doesn't know when he will be medically cleared. So I don't know what the point of this was. Like they were second week in a row. They they were teasing these segments as if, you know, uh, they were, we're going to get an answer about whether or not Ray Mysterio is retiring. And I, First, I don't think anybody <laughs> buys it, but the poor guy, he just like he should have just tweeted. <laughs> the doctors haven't told him anything. Why? Like, imagine booking a press conference, knowing that, you know, the person has really nothing to announce and doing it multiple weeks in a row. Yeah, that's what they're they're doing here. So he says. When he does, if he does get cleared and he faces Seth, he's not going to wait until the end of the match to hit the 619. There is a 619 with the Monday Night Messiah's name written on it for all you've put my family through. Mm-hmm. So there, this deadly 619 is coming for Seth Rollins. And Rollins says, you could have walked away a champion and a hero, and I gave you that opportunity, and I'm inviting Ray and Dominic to come here next week. And then out of nowhere, Aleister Black shows up jumping Rollins, and they really didn't set it up that Ray and Dominic were actually going to come last week or next week. It just seemed like this invite that was never – Ray kind of downplayed that he can't come. Maybe they'll show up via Skype again. Maybe oh. Dominic will sneak over from San Diego to Orlando next week. I'll sneak? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm assuming no, we'll, we'll get some sort of face-to-face, but God, I – whatever. Like this was like a, this is a like even for a Rey Mysterio segment, which I think typically are are very good. I found this to be really over scripted, over rehearsed, uh, just kind of I don't know, just can lines. So this led to this was the night of impromptu matches. They were very busy during the commercial breaks doing matchmaking. Alistair Black and Umberto Carrillo against Murphy and Austin Theory. Um, the highlight of this was Murphy and Black, to no one's surprise, just tremendous chemistry that the two have together. As Murphy went to get lifted for the Black Mass, Austin Theory ran in and then got sent to the floor. Carrillo dived onto him, allowing Black to hit the step-up knee and uh, won with the knee strike on Murphy in 221. Didn't use the Black Mass here. And after the match, Ray's music hits, but it's Seth with the Ray mask on, allowing Theory and Murphy to attack Black, and Carrillo got thrown into the post. He was hit with the ATL, followed by the Kamagoye onto Black, and one of the trainees from the crowd yells, Take his eye! Take his eye! Just bloodthirsty, these these uh, standing trainees. So they hit Murphy's Law on him, and then the stomp is delivered to Alistair Black. I thought they might announce Seth against Alistair for Backlash. They did not announce it here, but I guess that's always a possibility that they could add that onto the show. Sure, why not? Just make it impromptu, like all the matches. It's, it, it, I don't think it would make a difference. Um, if you're a fan of wrestling, you might be somebody who would stick around to a three-hour edition of Raw for these little glimpses of Alistair Black wrestling. Um, and if that's enough to satisfy you, then... 
maybe you'll keep watching, but for for most people, it's really not. Uh, he continues to look tremendous, but it's this is really all we get. Charlie is with uh, Randy Orton. <laughs> what do you think about the high expectations for this match on Sunday? And Orton just goes, "Fuck, you're telling me." He asks if Edge will be the only guest on the Peep Show, and she confirms, "Yes, it's next." And then he says, there may be two guests on the peep show. And Charlie is just left puzzled, trying to decode what he said in plain English that, oh my God, is he insinuating you will be the second guest? What does this mean? I think that's what that means. Yeah. I thought, I thought we should have some dramatic music to end this segment. So Christian comes out for the peep show and I would just say if you are a fan of like over the last like five years and you just all of a sudden see this guy on the studio panel show who's now hosting something called The Peep Show, you'd be a little confused, wouldn't you? Perhaps. But then again, would you even know who Edge was if you if you didn't know Christian? Well, you you would know him from these past few months. I mean, at some point, I think you have to expect the audience to understand who who somebody from like five years ago was. You could have a whole generation that would be looking up this guy and thinking that you too uh, has a representative in the WWE talking about grit. Um, Edge is brought out. Christian says he's happy to see him and was happy for his win at WrestleMania, but he thinks that Edge is running on fumes. The crowd starts chanting, you still got it at Edge. This audience got a little annoying on this show. You know, I felt like they were able to um, <laughs> improvise a little bit more. Like like maybe they they had given them direction to not just cheer or, or boo, but to actually come up with some chants as if they were an actual crowd. Sometimes and, it got annoying. Like during this segment, like especially when Edge was trying to be serious and you've got these guys like catcalling him. It was like, okay, guys, you, you literally are professionals that should know what you're supposed to be doing here. And trying to yell over me during the serious promo is not it. Um, Christian starts going at him, saying, I don't think you could have pulled off the greatest match ever in your prime, if we're being brutally honest. And you're lying to yourself if you can think if you think you can live up to those lofty expectations because you're gonna buckle under the pressure. He Edge asks if he knows what he's going through. He hasn't had a real wrestling match in nine years, and he's being told to go climb Mount Everest without any help. He has self-doubt, and he's not the same edge that was giving you, Christian, confidence when you were too nervous before all of our tag matches. Orton's firing on all cylinders. I don't even know how many cylinders I have working. Christian says, all I'm hearing are excuses. What do you think was going to happen when you came back? Just play your greatest hits, hit a few spears... Where is your belief? Your mom believed in you more than anyone. She was ringside for all your big matches, and she'll be sitting there watching on Sunday, Adam. And if Edge isn't going to show up at Backlash, then you need to just go home now. And then Christian stands up. Edge is looking at him, and Christian says, that's what I was looking for. And he says, we believe in you. You have the anti-venom. We have confidence in you. And we think you can have the greatest wrestling match ever. These two deserve Emmys for, or at least Jay Riso does, for getting that line out without either of these two bursting into t- into tears laughing. 
Orton shows up on the screen. He tells them both to shut up. He hears what they think, not what they know. The expectations are astronomical for this one. What will Edge do when he doesn't live up to those expectations? Orton is going to embarrass Edge and take every ounce of grit away. We've got a grit on a pole match. The grit could be taken away away. And he's going to send Edge back home to his family. The redemption of Edge is over on Sunday. And Edge gets the microphone and says, no, it's not. And he walks out and gives a nod to Christian for getting him into the headspace he needs to be in order to be better than Kobashi, to be better than every wrestler that has ever stepped into a ring that he will do on tape delay. Yes. You know, for a go-home segment, I actually thought it was one of the weaker segments I've seen between Edge and Norton. I like the story a lot. You know, we're talking about now them almost embracing this kind of greatest match ever tagline as part of their story of like edge having a lot of self-doubt and not of not being able to live up to that great great you know lofty <laughs> tagline whereas They're almost it, playing it that the company has put this tagline mm-hmm. on top of it and it's like it's this handicap the company has put on them it's not like it's being labeled this for any Re- real reason no. it's like the story prior to this was you're just, making this hard for us you're telling us to go out and have the greatest match ever it's more so it's like it's instructions it's not a uh description no it's almost it's at the point now where they can't ignore it because it's all over the the marketing but when this story started the second time around it was i mean in itself it was already a little weird because it was like orton saying edge you beat me in a street fight but can you beat me in a wrestling match and then Edge coming off of that with having some self-doubt that he wasn't able to have a to beat Randy Orton in a wrestling match. Well, that's now been extended to <laughs> not only am I unsure if I could beat Randy Orton in a wrestling match, I have to now attempt to have the greatest wrestling match ever, which is just so ridiculous. And, and just I, unfortunately further handicaps these people who, again, are taking this incredibly seriously, naming, naming, namely Edge, who... You know, as I've said, I, I feel like in this run, he's been trying to showcase as much of his acting ability as possible here. I thought it was a little too strong in this segment. I thought they were forcing it a little too much with like, you know, almost like the close up on edge, having him try to cry at the mention of his mother. Um, I also feel like, you know, Christian has been off of TV for a long time and isn't as strong of a performer as both as either Edge or Orton in a serious segment like this. So for those reasons, I mean, I feel feel like this would have, in execution, it just kind of reminded me a bit more of amateur theater rather than like, you know, a good promo segment. I, I like the segment, I think, a lot more than you did. Um, I, I don't discount like some of the, like, they were they were really trying to get the drama across here. And I think that it ultimately, to me, comes down to what we've been harping on is that they've put them in such a such a difficult light to try and tell this story when you've got you've got to work in this greatest match ever shit to all of the tagline and it, like they have to make that part of the story instead of this could have just been organically a really natural story of edge doubting himself and having to dig down deep to what got him to have this career that he had i think that there was an easy story to tell and now they've had to adjust it to make to make do with what this idea was, which sounds like it was Vince McMahon's idea to market this match, match as. But, um, you know, I, I thought it was a fine segment, not 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 the best promos that they have had to, to build this up. But I, I did think this was one of the better parts of the show. 
do you I, I guess we'll go through maybe a preview a little bit later in the week, but um anyway, yeah. Charlie was with MVP who was wearing the new Shad Gaspard shirt that's available on Pro Wrestling Tees, designed by MVP and our good friend Robert Pearson. Yes, yes, the work of Robert Pearson to see uh, on this uh, on Monday Night Raw makes its way up there. And uh, yeah, this was really cool that he wore it on on TV. Yes, and of course, uh, a tremendous tremendous cause. So that shirt is up there at Pro Wrestling Tees. Yeah, they're donating all the profits to Chad Gaspard's family. So um, you can get that design. It's a really cool-looking shirt as well. Um, he's interrupted by R-Truth, who tells MVP, you didn't see me here, and recaps his win over Robin Gronk. And MVP calls him a clown, and Lashley attacks him with the full Nelson. And I guess could have won the title here, but this was not a priority. Oh, God, no. You think he wants to be burdened with that thing? Doesn't need it, no. Then we had the decathlon between the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders. What's better than one game? It's 10 games between these two. We went through the 1,600-meter dash, which is not exactly a dash. That's like a distance. Depends how fast you run it, but um, yeah, for most people, it would be more of a pace. For, 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 for Montez Ford, I feel like you would sprint the whole thing. Uh, we had archery, flip cup, sword fighting, the hurdles, which... These segments were stick fighting, the dance off, which, okay, this part was funny where the Street Profits danced to Shawn Michaels theme and then did the diesel pose with uh, Ford as Shawn Michaels. And then, well, the Viking Raiders did Fandango's theme. That was less funny. But I will say this. It came down to the judges and Ivar wooed the one female judge who is a completely crooked judge and probably could have uh, scored the Amanda Nunez fight on Saturday where some judges didn't give her one 10, eight round uh, gave the, the dance contest to Ivar. So at least that paid off the joke from all these weeks to it had some payoff here for Ivar in the dance off. Yeah. Ladies just love Ivar and Eric. Not so much. Yeah. It, it does feel like they are slowly turning Ivar into their version of Otis on raw. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that was, you know, pretty apparent from all, all of these segments. Then we went through shot put, turkey, leg eating, and the pole vault, which <laughs> Ivar defeated Montez Ford in. Uh, Air Ivar cleared. The pole vault always scared the shit out of me watching it. Like, it just seemed nuts. You ever try it? No, no. That, like, not, no. Yeah, it's insane. It looks insane. Um, like the high jump is to me like I I did high dangerous. jump. Did oh. you do proper form like with like the the back Oh yeah, I Fosbury? I did it and it's it could be a bitch because I would I could clear the bar. Unfortunately, I would also clear the mat that was down. So I would I would always like angle my way to go towards kind of like my my body weight was going like diagonal. So I would clear the bar and land straight onto the onto like the mats but missed the big like cushion that they would have there for you so i took some horrendous falls doing high jumps so i don't think it was my sport but i'm not gonna lie i i could clear the bar at like a decent height oh very cool well maybe you should have taken part in this decathlon i could have maybe so at the end of this whole thing they're tied five five yeah so is this the last one is it over settle it they've got to settle something Right. 
So they're not, they didn't announce a match, did they? They have not announced a match, but I could certainly see something being added between these two teams for Sunday. Uh, don't you feel like, like after all this, they would take the time to at least announce the match on the go home show? I mean, that's sometimes they don't do it on the go home show and they just add it on, on the website later in, in the week. So that would not surprise me at all. Just the fact that they did this tie, although later in the show, they really put these two as like their allies. Now they're not really feuding with each other. They kind of like were together later in the program. Yeah. They're both baby faces. I mean, this is really just a friendly rivalry uh, of like stupid games between the two. So if anything, I'm, I'm, I would might, I might be able to think, see them like teaming together in, in some way against. They've got to do paintball. They've got to finish off with. Paintball. No, they don't. They don't have to do anything else. Like, let this be it, please. These are just. I'll say I thought this one moved along, along a lot better than the others. If they're all going to be like this level of humor, I, I prefer like 10 short bits rather than one long one. Paulo Cruz came out. He's excited to be defending his title at Backlash against the winner of this triple threat match. And that's all he had to say. Angel Garza, Kevin Owens, Andrade. So Andrade and Garza were working together until they started arguing on the floor. And as they started fighting, they knocked down Zelina Vega. We come back from commercial. Owens is fighting back. He, we, we see the sequence where he hits cannonballs onto both, then misses on a third try. Andrade hits double knees to both. Garza then super kicks Andrade. Owens super kicks Garza, follows with a frog splash. And then Andrade takes Garza down to the floor with him. Owens hit a big dive. Garza stops the stunner, drop kicks his bad knee, and then as he sets up for the wing clipper, Owens turns him around, hits the stunner, and Andrade returns, seated drop kick, sending Owens away, and he steals the pin, covering his teammate Garza at 1345, so it will be Apollo Crews versus Andrade for the U.S. title on Sunday. I thought a really good, fast match, full of action. Um, I, I, I can't really get that excited about seeing Andrade versus Cruz. Again, I though, thought this was the least exciting combination of the three available options. And, and like even Owens versus Cruz, I feel like I just saw, and and certainly that's why they gave us like a you know nothing finish, I suppose, because they might want to see it again. But I I feel like I've seen this combination of like guys so often now in this mid card that it's um it doesn't feel fresh anymore. Sarah Schreiber was with Charlotte Flair, and she said, "I never lost my title. I wasn't pinned or submitted." I would think we get at least another match out of Charlotte in NXT, whether I'd be probably with Ripley, but I guess it could be Shirai as well. You could make the argument to do either one. Possible. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, she still holds a win over Rhea Ripley. Mm -hmm. Um, You could pay that off off now, but I mean, you could also pay that off in the future, like on the main roster, perhaps. So uh, we shall see. Asuka danced into the shot, and Flair asked, do you ever take anything seriously? So Asuka just slapped the hell out of her. I thought it was a great spot. It it was, like, nonverbal and made her look like a badass. Yeah. Garza and Andrade are arguing. Vega just walks in pissed and just points them away, and they left. Then we had Kurt Angle talking about Edge versus Randy Orton. I swear that this was... um, this was a robotic version of Kurt Angle that they had just like wound up in the back. Uh, I think he's he was replaced with a robot somewhere in like 2017. Oh, watching that Raw from 2001, and this is the same person. It's 
so different. Oh, completely. I mean, you know, let's be honest, like the man at some point just seemed to lose the ability to memorize and deliver lines live. And, you know, that's that's why I think in every appearance we've seen him recently, it's it's been him backstage doing teleprompter stuff. Um, and who knows, like, what, what really is going on. But this seems to be like the best way of getting his presence on TV at the moment. I've had a lot of great matches. And the thing about great matches is chemistry is important. And sometimes you're on the page immediately. Flair had it with Steamboat, Sean with Taker, me with Brock Lesnar, and Edge has it with Randy Orton right now. The greatest match ever. That's a lot of pressure, and I'm picking Edge. It's true. It is damn true. <laughs> it was pretty bad, like, honestly. Um... God bless the guy, but I don't think it was a, a negative that He's not managing Matt Riddle. Yeah. Matt Riddle does not need a manager. There are a lot of people who I say like that could, that uh, a combination could work with a mouthpiece. Riddle is not one of them. No, I don't think he needs a manager. I mean, I think a, a potential tag team partner, like what we saw with him and Pete Dunn might be, might be fun in the future. But uh, I, I think it's no. telling that they were, thi- that they were thinking that direction that you watch this guy and I mean, the promos are, I guess that's going to be a divisive issue with some. It, I think it totally works for the guy. But the fact that they were thinking, this guy needs a manager, that might be some insight into something they perceive as a weakness of his and not a positive. We shall see. The Viking Raiders are backstage. Drew McIntyre walks in after they ask if he's joining the raid. He calls Ivar a ladies man and invites them to a celebration after the show with turkey legs. I think this was the Viking Raiders' turn, being endorsed by Drew McIntyre. Turn to what? Baby faces. I think there were already baby faces. They were always baby faces. I mean, they were feuding with the Street Profits. But they were baby faces. They were were both baby faces. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember like... They were heels when they came in. And like when they were the Viking experience and then they soon turned babyface for no real reason. But like, like they did carpool karaoke from that point on. They, they certainly were. Oh, they were, they were heels that week for most people, <laughs> I, I guess. Uh, Evolution is airing on FS1 tomorrow night. And then we had the VIP lounge where he went to introduce Lashley. Instead, Drew comes out. He comes out, they they argue back and forth about the full Nelson versus the Claymore. He says MVP's taken a lot of Claymores lately. MVP says Lashley is going to ragdoll your ass. And he uh, Drew points out that MVP has won zero world titles. And I have a saying, talk less and clay more. Yes, you do have a saying, Drew. He also explains his countdown. And he says, I'm going to count down and you can either take it like a man or run away and I'll come give it to you anyway. These are some poor options he's laid out here. Uh, Lashley shows up from behind, but instead Drew hits a Glasgow kiss onto MVP and the Viking Raiders come down, followed by the Street Profits. And that would set up our tag match with Bobby Lashley and MVP against the Viking Raiders. Yeah, um, I thought they did a really good job like building up this battle between their two finishers and the Claymore and the full Nelson. I feel like almost this whole month, or at least this episode, it may be even more so that like the past several weeks have been really building up Lashley's full Nelson as this deadly maneuver. 
Yeah, it's it's a simple build. I think they've done, you know, as I won't say as good a job as possible, but they've I, I think they've done a more more than adequate job with Lashley building it up this last month. Considering where he was at before? It, night and day, yes. Um Drew McIntyre clearly um a priority here because he found one of the only chairs um to sit down ringside for this match with. These poor people. Uh, they had a long match. Um, Lashley and MVP, they faced off with the Profits on the floor, and then Ivar dived onto MVP. They went through a break. Lana is interviewed backstage by Charlie, who calls MVP a leech, and said, we are about to become champion. And she says that this whole time, she's realized that she's been selfishly focusing on her marriage and not enough on her career, and she is going to make 2020 the year of Lana which Tom Phillips came back saying, with the year this has been, she can have it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, again, like, nothing came of her walking down ringside last week, like, presumably to interfere. Like, nothing came of that. The show just went off air. Um, and here, I, I don't, you know, no mention of, of what she did last week. And... I, I don't, I'm not sure what this is. Is this her saying that she's going to enter herself back to the women's division? I think she's going to get involved somehow in this finish uh, of the title match and somehow cost Lashley the match. That's my guess by mistake or something. Or it's left ambiguous. Was she trying to screw up Lashley or did she just make a mistake? That kind of finish I could see happening. Right. Because it's probably it, – it's. There's no way that they're going to put anything but Edge and Orton on last that they may feel that they can get away with some kind of screwy finish with Lashley and Drew, which may extend it. I mean, they put a lot into this Lashley MVP combo that to blow it off in one month might not be on their timetable and they extend it by another month. Sure. Drew and Lashley then interact on the floor. There's a spear to Ivar and then Lashley tags himself in full Nelson submits Eric. 15 minutes and 13 seconds of TV time. This one goes, um, it, it went long, long match. Yeah. Action was good. Uh, you know, but, but again, like these are all matches that just have very little build and very little anticipation and very little reason for you to care who won or lost. Yeah. Lashley then applied the full Nelson onto Ivar. The profits try to stop him and it's broken up by drew hitting the claymore. So he broke the full Nelson, but Lashley stayed on his feet. So I like that spot at the end. So the idea is can the claymore put Lashley down and can drew break out of the full Nelson. So I think you have an easy story for the match based around the two finishers. You do. You do. Yeah. Um, you know, this continues to be, I would say a test for this Drew McIntyre run, which has gone on now for three months, uh, two, two months, two months. Okay, so it's I still, mean longer if you include like the Rumble onward, where he's been kind of the focus. I suppose it's still early. This is like you know his his second defense after uh, Seth Rollins, and cer- certainly a lower in terms of um, I think importance. Um, I I still feel like he, you know, Drew McIntyre, I think is a great talent, but he still really has to prove himself. You know, none of these are really spectacular programs yet. Uh, they promoted SmackDown for Friday, which is the Brian Styles IC title match. And then with a half hour left in the show, Charlotte Flair walks out for her match with Asuka. And they took up the last half hour of the show. Sasha and Bailey came out for commentary 
and they're laughing about Flair losing her title last night, and they proceeded to have a very lengthy match here. Asuka was working on the leg. Uh, She hit numerous hip attacks. At one point, the Iconics are shown in the crowd, and they end up jumping Bailey and Banks, and they hit their new finish, which Tom identified as a fall from grace. So I think we have a name for it. Grace. Okay. Yeah. The the sort of um inverted uh magic killer. Yes. Yeah. Um Oscar utilized an arm bar that Flair was able to get out from, and then Oscar hit her with a missile drop kick, kicks her in the back, and then on the floor, Flair hits a moonsault off the barricade, wraps Oscar's knee around the post, goes to the figure four, it's stopped with kicks, and then there's a spear to Oscar, but in doing so, she spears Oscar while diving into her knee. And this replay looked incredible, where the knee just rocked Charlotte. She only gets a two count. Flair comes back. She hits a spear properly for a two count. And then Nia Jax appears, gets sent off the apron with a hip attack by Asuka, who turns around into the boot of doom from Charlotte Flair, who pins Asuka after 27 minutes and 14 seconds. When you put a match on at 1030 you know it's going the entire duration of the show, and I think that artificially adds like twenty minutes to your to your mindset of watching this. I, I thought that this, I, I mean, the match was fine, but man, this was a long match for TV after we just followed that fifteen minute tag match. I agree with you. It, it really felt like this edition of the show was was dragging out a lot of segments, and if you add, you know, Charlotte and Oscar's tag team match at the beginning of this this was a lot of charlotte and oscar for entire show as you said it was a very good match these two always have really good matches but with no real anticipation or story attached to this i was pretty much done like you know in the in the 10 15 minute mark it was you know this is also coming at the end of a three-hour raw um no very little chance i mean not even for a title right this is just a match for the sake of a match um and difficult to get into yeah i thought this was a a raw that dragged a lot throughout the show i think you can pinpoint a handful uh, of segments on the show um that bu- that built up backlash but i think if you uh added all that up i mean it was there was like a half hour in this show i thought this was just a lot of eating up a lot of minutes uh this show was also like this is a new show uh done on monday so that that's a hell of a lot of wrestling for charlotte flair in a 24-hour period with three matches two of the main events and then that tag match at the start of the show it certainly felt like they maybe had to cut a lot of corners in order to like extend this thing to three hours and also maybe to accommodate for multiple tapings within the same day like Mm -hmm. it did not feel like it was an optimal edition of raw that I, i i wonder if it was like you know, I wonder if there were any last minute changes. It like it felt certainly like a handicapped edition of the show. You could literally watch the peep show and the the VIP lounge, and those are your builds for backlash. Like those are the key things on the show in terms of um building up the significant stuff for Sunday. Mm-hmm. So that was raw. I, I didn't think a uh, an overall great show uh for a go home episode. But let's see if people had uh, a different thought on the show. We will go to forum.postwrestling.com. And tonight's show garnered a 5.5. This got a pass from the Jesus. forum. Sometimes I really don't understand because like some like SmackDown I thought was a better show than this. I got like a four. 
Yeah, it's you can't you can't predict. All, All right. from New Jersey writes. Oscar was advertised to take on Charlotte, so the two of them tagging in the triple threat made a lot of sense. Don't get me wrong, I love seeing the Iconics, who look especially crisp, but this doesn't matter at all. The Rollins-Mysterio feud is dead in the water for me, and Edge Orton is cringe comedy at this point. I want to hear the Revival shoot on these Viking Raiders Street Profits segments. Just skip. When we eventually did get the charlotte Oscar match, it was only a matter of time before Nia Jax was going to interfere, ending a 30-minute match. Credit for furthering two separate storylines in the main event, but aside from MVP and the title build, this show was lackluster. Four performance center trainee plants out of ten. We got Aaron from Brampton who says, Long-time listener, first-time poster. Well, welcome. This was the show that got him. <laughs> he says, or he, or he or she says, um, Aaron is, I guess, a more... I this I'm assuming um okay anyway Aaron says I actually enjoyed Raw tonight but one thing really bothered me and that was the camera cuts during the Edge and Christian promo I'm sure you guys noticed it for a show that's pre-taped how did they allow this I'm sure WWE knows their camera cuts get criticized and I'm shocked they do nothing to limit those it's the same thing that ruined the Cole versus Dream match from Takeover on a different note what are your thoughts on Tony Khan replying to Linda Hogan's racist tweet while I have no issue with him banning Linda from AEW shows. Does it make him look like a hypocrite because Chris Jericho and Hager are on the same roster? Those two have shown to have some questionable beliefs, uh, and she cites All Lives Matter tweets, liking or retweeting transphobic and homophobic remarks, but still hold prominent spots in AEW. Uh, I'm not familiar with like uh, the liking and retweeting of the, the remarks uh, this person's citing here. I mean, yeah, the, the All Lives Matter comment, I, I think Jericho... Caught a lot of grief for for that comment. Um, mm. I think that I, I think it's a case of I think I think Jericho as well, but but, but, also, but but very different from what Linda Hogan tweeted. Very different, very different. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean that's his prerogative to to ban people. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a, a strong thought on you know L- Linda Hogan, who I, I don't think uh, had any plans to attend an AEW show in her life, but that is not an option apparently. I would say absolutely. I think, you know, um, if you're somebody running a wrestling company, there's no way that all of your employees are going to politically feel the same as you. Um, If we are talking about Chris Jericho putting out a tweet like Linda Hogan's, I damn sure hope like Tony Khan would take some action. And, and very, you know, it might be not, it might not be, you know, banning Chris Jericho from your shows or something. I don't know. I don't know what it really, what would be acceptable at that point. But if it did come to that, I would hope that he would take some very serious action. Um, to, you know, would I expect Tony Khan to like say anything about Chris Jericho tweeting "All Lives Matter"? That I don't expect, and I think at some point it's like, yeah, it, it you know, is he should he like say something about every member of his roster who um, tweets something? Um, I, I guess in many ways it depends on the amount, amount of public attention that it receives. Um, and, and what it is too. Like what it you, is. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it, certainly like if, yeah, as you said, like if a performer tweeted something that was flat out racist, I think that you would absolutely see action and there would be pressure for there to be action and not just, uh, ignore it either. Um, I, I think the case is that, uh, I, I think it's a case where there are, a number of people that things that they are putting out there, whether it's like all lives matter, it's simply not understanding. 
I think that's what it ultimately comes down to. And I think there are are people you hope. Yes. I think you're right. There is, uh, there's also, um, you know, aside people that know exactly what they are doing with that. But I feel that there are also those that are learning the significance of like what that, what that means and what you are really, you know, shutting the door on and not acknowledging, which is a, a much more prevalent problem. No one is saying that, um, your lives do not matter. It's this is the focus because this is the problem now with regards to Black Lives Matter. And there are people that I think have stated things out of just simply uh, not not understanding that fact and are coming to that realization or, to your point, people that are just trying to um, be, you know, are putting out that stuff in bad faith. Right. Uh, next one here is from... Mon Mon Dockery from the Bronx. Hello, guys. I did not watch Raw super closely, but I gave it a seven based solely on the women's segments that bookended the show. All of the talent involved accomplished something. Nobody was made to look like a dope. It was a really good main event, and I'd forgotten all about Nia Jax till her involvement at the end. Between tonight's Raw and SmackDown this past Friday, female talent looked strong and were placed in the main event spots. It made me wonder if there was a recent change in creative because the division was being handled terribly not too long ago. At a time where the company is making a lot of questionable moves, this is something. Black Lives Matter. I don't know if I noticed any sort of like, you know, significant change um, in in the booking of the women. I feel like, um, you know, the, there, were all, there were always spots where the women's division matches were, were in the main event on Raw and SmackDown. Um, I don't know. Have you noticed much? No, I mean, I think we've seen plenty of examples, and I think we're at a point now where it's like it doesn't have to be a big deal that the women are in doesn't the final register, slot, slot on the show. It's like that's that's where you would hope that things would be, that we, we don't have to do all the pomp and circumstance every single time. It's like you, you watch it. They are they are main event level performers that Charlotte and Asuka going on last, you would not question that. That's just – that's the role that they have, and people accept it. Like women – a woman's match being the match of the night to me is so commonplace. I don't even think about it. Like they were the best match last night at takeover. In yep. my opinion, uh, even at WrestleMania, a lot of people, I think considered Charlotte and Rhea Ripley best match on that show wrestling match. Uh, but I didn't even think twice about it. So I, I, I mean, to me, that's progress, you know? Uh, all right. Finally, we got a Johnny who's or Carl who says way you are a grapple app user as am I. So this time next week, what do you think will be the average rating for the greatest wrestling match ever between Edge and Orton? John, I won't leave you out. So question for you between the two at WrestleMania, the match between the two at WrestleMania went 36 minutes, 35 seconds. What do you think? The, do you think this match goes longer or shorter? Okay. Rating out of five between these. I think the people on Grapple are going to be incredibly far more harsh on this than maybe they otherwise would. And I think everybody will because expectations are going to be set that far higher. However, um, you know, I, I, I think they will hit, they will hit a solid three, seven, 3.8. I'm going to say 3.8. Okay. I'm going to say it's shorter. I hope they, I hope they learn from mania that this should not be approaching 36 minutes and 35 seconds yeah me too i th- i do think they'll go 25 i don't think we're we're getting like a super short match 25 yeah yeah, yeah it'll have to be you can't do a greatest match ever at 15 and you do have like an element of a crowd this time as well so that is something that they have to work with so 
you know, it'll certainly be debated about whether or not this is the greatest wrestling match ever. But I think I bet I bet the crowd starts chanting it. <laughs> greatest wrestling. That's a mouthful. Greatest ever. <laughs> it'll certainly that be... crowd's going to be insufferable by the end of that match. Oh, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what I think will be a debate I'll be happy to take part in is whether or not the match we'll be talking about tomorrow will be the greatest Raw match ever. Yes, uh, we are going to be reviewing the May 21st, 2001 edition of Raw is War. Do you remember what happened in the main event of this show? It was a pretty well-remembered match. Do I remember? I mean, I just watched it today, so. Well, I could have sworn that this was the show that had that that tag match that's considered one of the best matches in Raw history. However, according to WWE.com, or the WWE Network, this is our description way, as Mr. McMahon's incomparable duo of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H reached the pinnacle of success by holding the WWE Intercontinental and Tag Titles simultaneously, Chris Jericho challenges both men to a tag team main event. <laughs> so, man, Chris Jericho has an enormous task on his hands to take on Steve Austin and Triple H all by himself in this main event. Someday, I think um, aliens are going to discover this planet, and maybe humans by then will be like long extinct. And they'll find remnants of our recorded history. They'll find a WWE Network archive. They'll find somebody's password. They'll log in. And it'll just be, I, I think, mass confusion of trying to piece together all these little missing pieces of, of the network where, of course, Chris Benoit was, was supposed to be. It's like the match is there. The match yeah. is there in its entirety on the network. But the description sets it up as a handicap match. Like, you either make the decision or you don't make the decision. It's, it's so strange. It's silly. It really is. <laughs> Anyway, that's what we're going to be reviewing. Um, we will find out if, in fact, uh, Chris Jericho is a tag partner in this uh, very famous match of Raw history. Plus, Shane McMahon disrupts a special ceremony for Kurt Angle. Yes, yes, yes. The 2001 show coming right off of WrestleMania. Well, coming off of Judgment Day 2001, but not too long after WrestleMania 17. And uh, Vince Mc... Or sorry, uh, Steve Austin and Triple H teaming up together as the two-man power trip. Um I definitely made the mistake of watching that raw before this one because sure. I think the way that how fast that an edition of raw from 2001 moves compared to what we saw tonight I maybe definitely affected my my viewing of tonight's show. So that show will be released Tuesday night for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. You can sign up postwrestlingcafe.com. $6 a month gets you a uh, minimum two bonus shows per week uh, including Rewind Away on Tuesday night. And, and live, live access to Rewind to SmackDown on Friday nights. That's right. Uh, Way and Andrew will be taking your calls and reviewing SmackDown on Friday night. So lots of great stuff coming up on the cafe this week. So that's it for us. Uh, we'll speak with you on Tuesday night. This has been the greatest podcast ever. <laughs>